Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. I am not on vacation. Damn it. I'm working. Can't you see? I'm just driving this golf cart around. Get some exercise. <laughs> Hello, everybody. What do you say to the big fat lie from the Trump White House? Yeah, can't even admit that he's taken a couple of days off. Who cares? Great to see you today. Tuesday, August 8th. Got the date right today and the date right, and uh, you got it right. If you tuned in to the Bill Press Show, that's us coming to you live coast to coast on radio, on TV, on YouTube.com slash the Bill Press Show, and, of course, on Free Speech TV. Great to see you today. I uh, hope you are enjoying the summer and keeping up with the news of the day. Uh, lots of stuff on all different fronts yesterday. We'll tell you what's going on here in Washington, D.C. That's where you find us. You know, we're right in the heart of the action. We tell you that all the time, but it's true. We are easy, easy five-minute walk from the Capitol, from the Supreme Court. Um, we're right there from the Senate office buildings, the House office buildings. And you hop across the street and get on the Metro, and in uh, five minutes, you're at the White House. Don't so, tell everybody know. where we are. Stop giving everybody so many clues. But that's <laughs> vague enough, right? Uh, that uh, you could, you'll never find us. But we're right there is what we want you to know. Right in the middle of it. Yep. But don't and, look for us. <laughs> uh, but we do look forward to hearing from you on the issues of the day. Love to get your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. Yes, he's already tweeting this morning. But don't let him monopolize Twitter. Use it yourself, at BP Show. Send us your comments. But first... This All is right. the Full Court Press. Peter, All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that HBO had been hacked. Yesterday, we got a look at what they hacked into. Hackers released a month, a month's worth of executives' emails. It is the first indication oh. that their emails have been penetrated. Now, these are some of the higher-ups at HBO, their email addresses, and also script summaries for shows like Game of Thrones yeah, yeah, uh, huh. and like the entire season sort of played out. We knew that this was like a possible, but we got the actual look at it yesterday, which is bad news for HBO. I mean, this is really, really, really hard well, for them to get yeah, off. Yeah, there's a lot of privacy copyright stuff there, you know? That, oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's intellectual property. That's yeah. Yeah, it's not good. I find this story fascinating. But 16 years after 9-11, yesterday, there were remains identified. Now, there are still I didn't realize this. 40 percent of the victims of the 9-11 attacks at the World Trade Center have not been identified yet. There are over a thousand people who have who are unaccounted for. But because science has gotten so much better in 16 years, they're having an easier time identifying some of these remains. So yesterday, uh, it was announced that a male victim was identified. The families, the family requested that his name be uh, withheld, so they did not 
release the man's name, but it's the first new identification since March of 2015. They're saying that there is going to be a whole new process of identifying and testing and seeing if they can figure out who some of these people are to bring a little more closure to. Well, uh, it to it does bring closure, but at the same time, it prolongs the agony. It seems to me. I know. You I know? mean, it, it yeah. was jarring. It really was jarring this morning to read another 9/11 headline. But it, it, mm. these, this is still happening. And again, you know, science has just gotten so much better since the actual attack that they do have these, uh, you know, fragments that that they're able to identify now, which is wild. I think it's it's wild. Yeah, and, and, and again, underscores again, you know, the depth of that tragedy. It just Yeah. You know, I mean, here we are all these way. years later, mm. a generation later. Uh, and in Philadelphia on the Schuylkill River, there is a floating art installation called Wetland. It's a house that was meant to look like it was going underwater to highlight the problem of the rising waters in the rivers around America. Well, the art installation went underwater completely. It's art imitating life, oh, uh, imitating art. They were trying to make a point that rising waters were going to swallow up some houses and land, and it actually swallowed up the art exhibit. So <laughs> that's not well, a good sign. Not point made. Yeah, yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say on a Tuesday, August 8th? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, we are pleased to join you and uh, so grateful that you have joined us on this beautiful summer Tuesday. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, uh, but again, joining you all across this great land of ours, every little nook and cranny of America, we are there with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, hello. Looking at you on Free Speech TV, part of uh, the Direct TV, uh, and also looking at you, uh, or <laughs> joining you, I guess, out in Chicago on the great Chicago's WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago land. Wherever you happen to be, thank you so much for joining us. And um, we have to start out by uh, by celebrating. Big day to celebrate. I don't know whether you know, know this or not, uh, Peter, but this is National Dollar Day. Whoa. What does that about mean? that? National Dollar Day celebrates the fact that back in 1786, Congress adopted the dollar as the official you know, currency oh, no of the kidding. United States of America. At one time, I did a little research here. When I saw it was National Dollar Day, I said the same thing. What the hell does that mean? Uh, yeah. But uh, at one time, we had seven different kinds of currency, uh, se- including gold coins, silver coins, you know, dollars and all kinds of other stuff, and pesos. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> uh, and they all said, nope, we're going to stick to the dollar. That was in 1786, made the dollar the official currency of the United States. So- that's why we celebrate National Dollar Day. And also, did you realize this? So what's the largest uh, bill you can get today? Um, The largest one I've ever seen is a $100 bill. You got it. That's the largest one you can get? Yep. Uh, That's reassuring because I wouldn't want like a $1,000 bill. But here's the deal. Up until the 1940s, there used to be $500 bills, $1,000 bills, 
$5,000 bills and $10,000 bills. $10,000 bill? <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, man. You go down and, you know, you get out here to the uh, Pan Cotidien downstairs. <laughs> get a cup of a, coffee? Get a cup of coffee and say, yeah. Do you have change? Can oh. you break this for me? <laughs> Can you break <laughs> A ten thousand dollar bill. I like. I get anxiety just thinking about carrying one of those things around. I get anxiety, but I get anxiety about carrying a hundred dollar bill. Yeah, around. seriously. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. So, um, but anyhow, that's uh, happy dollar yeah, day. Back in uh, back in the 1940s. Yep. There were, uh, until then there were all these different currencies. Uh, now, for so, those younger listeners, uh, dollars, yeah, dollars are pieces yeah. of currency that you used to carry around in your pocket before they had debit cards <laughs> and, you know, Apple Pay and all that stuff. Well, also, dollars were things that, that, that you used to be able to buy something with. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, how, how soon, how long before they get rid of the dollar? Right? Yeah. I mean, it's long overdue that yeah. we've got, that fact, we, should, every, we should get rid of the penny for sure. I, I was uh, traveling with my, in the car with my sister. Uh, a month or so ago, when we were up in Rhode Island, and she saw this dollar store. The dollar, she said, oh, "That's my favorite store. <laughs> Everything in there's a dollar." I said, "What the hell? What can you buy for a dollar?" <laughs> right? I've never been in one. Have you? I have. You um, want to know what you can buy in there for a dollar? <laughs> crap. A lot of crap. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's fun. Like, I'll take the kids to the dollar store yeah. and give them five bucks and say, "Go, you know, go nuts." So you can get a paper clip, yeah. like for a dollar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just stuff like that. Anyhow, we thought you'd like to know that uh, and uh, start the day. The other uh, off the wall thing that I uh, that's fascinated me and that I've just got to mention to you. I want to know what you're doing about it. Here's the question: What are your what are your plans for the eclipse? This is creeping up on us now. I know. Twenty first of August is the day, and suddenly I realized we're going to be on the west coast. And uh, that's where it starts. Now, we're going to be, we got it backwards, because we have family in California and then family up in Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon is going to be like 95%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's 100, but it's like way, way, way up there. Salem, Salem, Oregon is where it's 100%. That's where it starts, uh, that little band. So uh, it's pretty exciting. And, you know, this, um, there won't be another one for, I don't know, it's like 2046 or 50 something, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's, it's a In long the United ways States, away. not the same band. Right, Anyhow. right, right. Uh, so I'll tell you what I did. So, uh, but Peter, what are you doing for the eclipse? I'm going to Charleston, South Carolina, where I'm from, and that's going to have that's like. Yeah, it's, it's going to have a, it's going to have total uh, a total eclipse total? there. Is yeah. it one hundred percent? One hundred percent there. Whoa, that'll so, be yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah, so we're going there. Uh, we already got our little glasses. You got to get the special glasses. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the Bay Area, it's going to be like eighty percent, and uh, or seventy-five or something. Sacramento. I've been studying now all these cities, eighty uh, percent. But you try to find. I thought my first thought is okay. We're going to drive up to Salem, Oregon. Spend the night, be there the next morning for the eclipse. You try to find a room within 100 miles. Can't no, do it. I, I actually, it. so I was in Charleston a couple of weeks ago, like two weeks ago, and I was talking to some people there who are in the hospitality industry, and they were saying that uh, there are no rooms in Charleston. Mm-mm. And, like, reservations at restaurants are already booked up. Like, people are going completely berserk for this. Oh, yeah. This is going to be, yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's worth seeing. Yeah, oh, yeah, that. man. And, like, I, I was saying, so, I was watching uh, the Discovery Channel, I think, the other day, but they were already hyping their coverage. They're going to take it live and all this stuff. It's like astronomers are suddenly cool. 
Hey, look. No, because they know all. They know all about. They know. They've been able to. They can tell you. You know, you you can go online and watch any city in the area, right? And it's going, and it'll show you what it's going to look like in your city. Yeah. Their little, a little, um, you know, um, uh, video videos. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. A little model. Yeah. Simulated, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and so it's and. I bought my glasses yesterday too. Okay, yep. got, so you're ready. I got ten pair of Eclipse glasses. Ten them out. You should buy more and then like sell them the day of. If anybody's looking for a get rich quick scheme, well, if you go on to Amazon, yeah. the first thing is a 500 pack. Oh my god, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't. I, I didn't buy said, 500. Not to go overboard. Right? Yeah, Anyhow, I got so. a couple. Oh, so uh, I hope you're making your Eclipse plans. Let us know about it uh, at BP Show. Uh, let me see, uh, Donald Trump, will he be back in the White House or will he still be at Bedminster, New Jersey, whatever? Oh, well, uh, on his vacation. No, no, not on vacation. No, not, never, never, never on vacation. In fact, um, we know Donald Trump uh, doesn't like presidents who uh, take vacations. Back in February 2016, uh, he, tw- he uh, tweeted out about President Obama, quote, you can't leave the White House, go to Hawaii and play golf for three weeks and be a real deal maker. It doesn't work that way. Oh, that's just one of many tweets that Donald Trump did attacking President Obama for daring to go on vacation to Hawaii or to Martha's Vineyard uh, or whatever. So now, <laughs> the ultimate lie of all: Donald Trump is on vacation, a 17-day vacation. In a sense, this timing was. Was well while he's on vacation, they are renovating the West Wing of the White House. But if he had stayed in Washington, they wouldn't be doing that work now. Uh, but at any rate, it's a vacation, big effing deal that the president goes on vacation. He deserves a vacation, except Donald Trump just won't admit that that's what it is. And so he gets his briefing every day, which President Obama did every day as well, and George W. Bush did every day at the ranch down in Crawford, Texas. Uh, and he'll, he may have one meeting a day. Today he's meeting with Tom Price, the HHS secretary. But he's playing golf. And again, I'm not critical of it. I'm not criticizing it. Just what I'm criticizing is that he's a lying hypocrite to say that he's not on vacation. But there is one thing we can thank Donald Trump for. But, I mean, I don't want to move away from that too fast. Can you, can you believe this guy? He's, again, the ego is so huge. We're having a hard, still having a hard time 200 days in dealing with it. His ego is so huge that he can't admit that he is taking a vacation and taking a couple of days off. But, again, the one thing we can be thankful to Donald Trump for on his vacation is that he is not um, blasting out photos of himself with his shirt off the way Vladimir Putin did. <laughs> he loves those, huh? If you would see, if, I, if you haven't seen him go online, Putin himself put out these photos. Oh, no, he's not. Putin is not denying he's on vacation. He is glorifying in the fact that he's on vacation. And there he is with his shirt off fishing, with his shirt off lying in the sun, riding in the boat. And then he's got his scuba gear on. He's going scuba scuba diving. I mean, he's having this great... Up in ha- Siberia, of yeah. all places. He has the social media habits of, like, a horny teenager. Yeah. You know, yeah. with the bathroom yeah. selfies and the shirtless photos. <laughs> I and know. He's, he's so thirsty. All right. Please, Donald Trump, do not do that. Oh, my God. I do not want to see a photo of Donald Trump with his shirt off. Thank you.
<laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, that would be bad. Uh, that would be, uh, yes, really bad. Uh, yes, well, one other thing that Donald Trump may be thinking about. Yesterday, of course, he, uh, among his uh, tweet storm yesterday, you know, in, in a sense, as Peter Baker makes his point in the New York Times this morning, in a sense, Donald Trump is right when he says that he's vacationing just that there's no change, right? Because what does he do at the White House? He, he, he wakes up, he, he turns on this TV, he watches the morning shows, and he tweets about everything he doesn't like, right? Well, what's he doing up in Bedminster, New Jersey? We saw it yesterday. He wakes up, he turns on the TV, he sees somebody on TV, and he get, picks up his phone and starts tweeting like mad. Uh, yesterday, tweeting about Richard Blumenthal. We'll get to that in just a second. But he also started out saying about his base. His base is bigger and stronger than ever before. Quote, unquote, Donald Trump. His tweet, the Trump base is far bigger and stronger than ever before, despite some phony fake news. Well, not necessarily the case. Politico yesterday uh, took a look at Donald Trump's base. Okay. They went to likely voters in 2018 in swing states. These are the key states, Florida, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. Uh, not too hard to follow, but let me give you the numbers. So back in April, among those, again, Trump voters in swing states, those who had a strongly favorable opinion of Donald Trump in April, 35.3%. Today, this is the base, Strongly favorable of Donald Trump, down to 28.6%. Somewhat favorable for Donald Trump was 9.2% in April. Today it's 13.3%, went up a little bit, just somewhat. Somewhat unfavorable was 6.5% in April. Today it's 7.4%. But get this, among his base, strongly unfavorable was 36% in April. Today, it is 43.6%. Donald Trump's base is, his base is eroding. Support in swing states, those key swing states, Florida, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, eroding. Over and among Republicans, this is, this is what's particularly striking. That was all voters, the Democrats and Republicans. Among Republicans, Strongly favorable, strongly favorable was 54.1% in April. Today, it's down to 44.9%. So even among Republican voters, and overall, by the way, um, uh, it, the, the question was asked, do you trust what you hear from the White House? Do you trust, do you believe what you hear from the White House? 24% say wow. yes. Seventy-three percent say no. Yeah, I, that that's is, amazing. It's stunning. One one out of four Americans only believe. So, or put it the other way: three out of four Americans do not believe what they hear from the White House. No wonder his base is eroding. Bad news for Donald Trump, and and it's no wonder. <laughs> Let's go back where we started. When the guy takes a vacation and he won't even admit that he's on vacation. No wonder nobody believes anything they hear out of the White House or, <coughs> pardon me, when they say that um, 
there were never any meetings at all between anybody connected with my campaign uh, and anybody, uh, any Russian official whatsoever. And then we find this whole litany, this whole long list of meetings between many people in the Trump operation. Uh, so you can go on and on with all the, the, the lies that they've been caught in, uh, which explains um, the numbers that we see. And back on, uh, yes, the other big tweet yesterday, of course, was about uh, Donald Trump seeing uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut on the air who was uh, talking about the Russian investigation and why it was not going to go away. And Donald Trump then attacks him, uh, called him a liar, attacked him for being a coward, uh, for lying about his service in Vietnam. And we know what happened with with Blumenthal. He admitted it. He exaggerated uh, the fact he, he when he first ran for office, he put out that he served in the Vietnam War. He actually was in the military during the Vietnam War, but he did not serve in Vietnam. Uh, he apologized for that. He corrected that. The point was he was in the military. Donald Trump was not. Donald Trump got five deferments for a bone spur. Yeah, right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's a bone spur that prevents him from playing golf um, as much as he does. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, poor guy's got that handicap. Uh, but at any rate, how dare he criticize somebody who was in the military when he found a way to duck out of the military? But, of course, that's not going to stop Donald Trump. So yeah, Whatever you Blum- think of Richard Blumenthal, right, yeah, what Donald he, Trump did to get out of military service, yeah. you really can't throw stones. No, he's another Dick Cheney, right? Yeah. He can't throw stones. Uh, and, um, uh, and 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 uh, uh, Donald Trump suggesting— uh, in a really ugly tweet that what Richard Blumenthal should do, he should take a vacation. He should take a vacation in Vietnam, and then he could say that he actually ha- uh, had been there. Blumenthal himself responded yesterday saying all of Donald Trump's attempts to um, attack the press are just trying to um, stop the press from writing stories that he finds embarrassing. I will not allow the president of the United States to chill the free press or the work of reporters who have uncovered embarrassing or revealing truths that have led to the special counsel investigation and other action. And uh, the good senator from Connecticut said, look, if Donald Trump thinks this Russian investigation, he's going to be able to uh, just make so much noise about it that they're going to drop it. It's not going to go away. The message has to be sent that this investigation will continue. This investigation is not going away. Right. And how 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 true that is, as we discussed yesterday, um, it, more uh, evidence of that, uh, all the evidence you need to know that that's true is the fact that the special counsel Robert Mueller has convened a grand jury here in Washington, D.C., and has been subpoenaing, subpoenaing, issuing subpoenas, I guess I should say, for documents from the White House regarding uh, the financial records and dealings of Michael Flynn, former National Security Advisor. It's not going to go away. Hey, uh, on a related, unrelated topic, but uh, up in that area of the, of the country, Richard, I mean, um, Bill de Blasio, our good mayor of New York, a uh, good friend of the program, back when he was running for mayor, we remember he was a frequent guest here He's on our the guy. Press Show. He was our guy. Uh, the man we supported for mayor of New York is doing a great job. And yesterday, you know, they've got real problems with the subway system in New York. It's an antiquated system. I love riding it, but it is it is like a relic from the past. 
um, many too many people for far too far too few cars and far too few lines, a lot of delays. It really it desperately, urgently needs just for pure public safety uh, an upgrade. Of course, that's going to be very expensive. And um, Bill de Blasio has decided here is how we're going to pay for it. We're going to ask the millionaires who never ride the subway to cough up and pay their fair share of taxes to enable the working class, working men and women of New York to be able to ride that subway uh, comfortably and safely. Here's the good mayor yesterday. I am calling on Albany to pass a millionaire's tax to support the MTA. I love the fact that he calls it a millionaire's tax. I mean, that puts it right in your face. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, right. So the Upper East Side is going to pay for the Lower West Side. I there you go. Got, right? or, for the, or for the other boroughs of Brooklyn and Staten Island. Uh, and Mayor de Blasio says, here's how the city works. You know, we are sort of all help each other. When the rest of us get on subways and buses to go to work, the folks who own those companies do well. When customers go to their stores and businesses, they do well. Yep. Yep, those people, the millionaires, they're profiting from people being able to move around the city uh, and uh, do their shopping and go, go to the movies and go to the plays and go to the restaurants. Uh, and the mayor again says, so let's just ask those who uh, are blessed with um, more resources to help those who are not. So that New Yorkers who typically travel in first class pay their fair share so the rest of us can get around, so the rest of us can get to work, so the rest of us can live our lives here in this city. Yep, makes a lot of sense. Makes whether whether of sense. or not makes you a very strong point. Whether or not you agree with that or like that as a progressive or as a member of the Democratic Party, he's taking a stand on something. You can hear in his language. He's he's making a point. The rest of us can benefit from you know those of you who've done so much better, right? Yeah. Uh, Wherever I, he takes that, who knows, but at least he's clear about it. Now, you know, nobody likes their taxes to go up, right? Sure. But at the same time, um, it's going to be hard to, hard for uh, those well-to-do people in New York to make the argument, I never ride the subway, so why should I help pay for right. it? That's, that's the argument some people make about public schools. But I don't have any kids. Why should I have to pay for them? No, because you're part of this community, right? That's why. Uh, it's, you're part it's of this country. It's refreshing to hear him make that argument because so many people are bad at that on uh, our side. Uh, yeah, indeed. No. Uh, so uh, great progressive, and uh, and he proved it, proved his stripes uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, hey, one final one. We haven't talked about this before, but uh, I've been fascinated by this, by what's happening. This whole uh, spotlight now on the tech industry as a result of a memo. Uh, that was sent out. You probably heard about this. It was an engineer at Google who... Uh, Who's put, taking over the world. <laughs> yeah, Google. Google taking over the world. And this engineer, he's been fired, by the way. He was fired yesterday by Google. Uh, uh, an engineer by the name of James Damore who put out a 3,300-word memo and emailed it to every Google employee saying, uh, of course... There are not that many women in top positions at Google. And the reason, he said, is because women are biological, biologically inferior. That's why they don't have these jobs. I mean, totally disgusting, wrong, sexist pig. But he put this memo out. But, but in, in, and in effect, what the memo has done is shine the spotlight on the t- entire, not just Google, but the, on the entire tech industry 
with some serious problems. And, you know, we sort of venerate these companies because they're so successful and they're all people, so many people become billionaires and millionaires by investing in them early on. And we all depend on them today, right? And yet, uh, it turns out that uh, they ain't doing such a good job when it comes to diversity. The numbers, in first of all, in Google, only 20% of their workforce are women at Google, um, which is not a very good That's percentage, That's right? That's not good. Yeah. Uh, and it's not because, of course, that, I mean, Larry Summers, remember, got in trouble at Harvard, got fired as president of Harvard because he said the same thing about why there weren't more women in top professor jobs at Harvard. Not true there. It was not true certainly in Google. It's just that there's a, a lingering sexist attitude in this country and particularly in big corporations about uh, the old glass ceiling argument about elevating women to positions of authority. Um, but at any rate, overall in the tech industry, listen to this. Here's the numbers. 69% nice. are male. Wow. 56% white. 35% Asian. Only 4% Latino and only 2% African American in the tech industry. Wow. You know? I mean, yeah. At plus, at the same time, you've got Uber and Google, both of whom... Uh, have uh, several cases, uh, accusations of sexual harassment at those companies that are being investigated, both Google and Uber particularly. And Google is also the subject of a DOL, uh, Department of Labor, investigation for not paying men and women, not paying women the same, <laughs> this is Lily Ledbetter, yeah. the same that men get paid for the same job. So suddenly this memo, which was so bad, right, has uncovered, however, a lot of serious problems in the tech industry. It's just, uh, you know, maybe you can say, well, why should they be any different than the sexism that you see in, in other industries? Well, I guess because we thought that the tech industry, that's this is the 21st century, that they would be different, right? When, when people talk about toxic masculinity, right, like this yeah. this just proves, I mean, this is such a poison <laughs> because it's, it, it's, it goes into every industry. Yeah, right. But again, we thought the tech industry was different, right? This is the future. Yeah. Right? Yeah. These are the young people. This is the future. This is it. And uh, uh, i got some serious fixing up to do on there. Yes. All right. We are uh, in 2017, but looking forward to 2018 and a lot of work for the Democratic Party to rebuild. Uh, how are they going to do it? Soshi Hinonosa, who is a communications director of the Democratic National Committee, is going to tell us all about it. Joining us in studio next quick break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Indeed, it is the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Yes, indeed, the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa, helping build a better America. We all live better because of their good work. Check out uh, their uh, all the things that they're up to at teamster.org. We salute the Teamsters of America and thank them for the support of the uh, program. 
Uh, I have to tell you, it is a brave man, Senator Richard Blumenthal. We just mentioned he was on CNN yesterday morning and then uh, uh, the subject of, I don't know, half a dozen tweets beating him up, uh, trying to beat him up by uh, President Trump. And Senator Blumenthal, as we speak, is on MSNBC and Morning Joe this morning. Uh, I guess he's a glutton for punishment, <laughs> whatever. We'll see what the president has to say about whatever he says on Morning Joe this morning. And just, I'm sure phones are going to start ringing any minute here. Uh, and on that and other news of the political news of the day, Soshi Hinonosa. I get that pretty close? Pretty close. All right. <laughs> best I can do. Communications Director at the DNC uh, joins us in studio. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, um, last week, Donald Trump went out to West Virginia and on a little hunting trip, and uh, he succeeded in snaring a governor, Jim Justice, who said, oh, Mr. President, I'm leaving the Democratic Party and becoming a Republican. This is not good news. Right? I mean, Democrats only had 16 governors a week ago. Now only 15. What's going on? It's a disappointment. It is one that... Um, not that he was a great Democrat. Not that he was a great Democrat, right. but um, it is a disappointment. And it's a disappointment because voters voted for him and they as voted for him as a Democrat. Yeah. And yeah. whenever you go to the yeah. booth and you promise to be something... And that you're going to deliver for your constituents and then go and turn around and do something else. It is you have to explain that. And he's going to have to explain why in a time when Donald Trump is trying to take away people's health care, why, how, what, how, what that means to West Virginians. And the other thing I find in West very Virginia odd, with this opioid crisis and everything, if anybody needs Obamacare, right, any state, it's West Virginia. Exactly. And um, he's also going to talk about whether he's going to own the investigation that's happening with Robert Mueller right now, right? As, as, as part of the Republican Party, does he support Trump, his policies, and everything that he stands for? But not only that, what we're seeing is that he was in debt. He was in about $15 million in debt. And we find I just find it very odd that $15 million he, in wait, debt. Wait a minute. He? Yes, Jim the, Justice. Not the party. No. Jim Justice is in debt. And so it is very odd but, to whether whether or not he cut a deal what? I mean, or what, what was, happened. It was in taxes it, and all sorts of other um, stuff. So there was some there there was some financial dealings on his end that I'm sure that he needed to take care of. It is <laughs> unclear whether or not that he got a cut from Donald Trump. Um, but whether or not the constituents should be asking these questions. They should be asking him, did you cut a deal with Donald Trump? Why are you supporting him now? Why are you part of the Republican Party when they're trying to take away our health care? Um, it is very disappointing, but is that are those the values that he stands for now? Okay, but what? what that, that's, that's very important. I didn't know all of that stuff. However, we still, the fact is 15 out of 50 only Democratic governors. Yes. And 2018 is a really big year, 2017 and 2018. What we're seeing right now is that a lot of people are focused on the midterms and the congressional races that are happening. But the gubernatorial races are extremely important because they have redistricting implications. And what we're seeing is that Republicans are having to defend 27 out of the 38 districts or gubernatorial seats that they have right now. And in nine states, Hillary Clinton won those states. Hmm. So those are areas like New Jersey, where Chris Christie is extremely unpopular, Illinois, um, Nevada, and Virginia. And in, well, in Virginia is one that we already had, but the, we're defending. Yeah. Um, and in Virginia and in New Jersey, two 
gubernatorial races that are up this year that are very important, I would say are probably the most important races up this year, Democrats are ahead. Mm-hmm. While it's going to be a tough race in Virginia, and we still have our eye on New Jersey, we're doing everything we can, and we just announced that we're investing $1.5 million in New Jersey. Um, I mean, sorry, in Virginia. The DNC is all in on Virginia because we understand how important that is, not only for the gubernatorial race, but for races up and down the ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, particularly because, you know, Terry Governor, uh, Terry McAuliffe, who I think has been a great governor of Virginia, um, has been hampered by the fact that he's got a Republican, uh, uh, an extremely conservative Republican legislature that has blocked almost everything he's tried to do. Yes, and uh, I think that there's a lot of potential there as well. So, I mean, we, we're looking at um, the legislature um, as well as the gubernatorial races. And by investing in Virginia, we, you know, Tim Kaine is up as well in 2018. So this is an investment for this year, but also to build the party for next year as well. Uh, you mentioned Illinois, probably one of the least effective and worst governors uh, after Paula Page of Maine, you know, um, I, I think the governor, I'm blanking on his name, but the mm-hmm. uh, uh, governor of Illinois at any rate. And then the governor of Nevada, Brian Sandoval, right, who has uh, who has a pr- particularly perilous, situ- perilous situation because Nevada is becoming a blue state, really. And uh, again, for health care, um, uh, that's a big issue in, in, in Nevada. And it's a big union state, at least Las Vegas is a big union town. It is a big union state. I actually worked in Nevada for a while um, on the race against Dean Heller last or <laughs> last time that he was up. And one of the things is that um, people in Nevada understand the issues and when it comes to health care. And that's why right now you're seeing that Dean Heller is at an all time low. We have not hit the polling. The polls that have come out since the health care bill have been incredible. And it will have implications on the gubernatorial race as mm-hmm. well. And um, this is going to be a huge year for Nevada. It's a state that Hillary Clinton won. They know how to – the Democratic Party is probably one of the strongest in the country in Nevada. They know um, under Harry Reid's leadership, they did a lot of work. They invested. And um, they were able to – they don't just invest on – in election years, they invest in off years too. And so we know that they're doing great work there. They have new leadership there. Um, and so we're really excited to see what happens in Nevada. It's going to be a really big year for the state in 2018. Uh, and Heller ended up voting for the health care bill, right? After... Yes. It's one of those things. It's very odd. Every direction that Heller was supposed to take, any vote, he ended up voting the wrong way. And it ended up hurting him. So I don't know who was advising him or what was happening there. But at the end of the day, he ended up voting for this bill that he said that he was never going to vote for. Um, so it is extremely strange. It's it's unclear what happened. Some people say that Mitch McConnell had promised him money for his campaign and therefore, mm. you know, there was some sort of deal that was cut. But I mean, at the end of the day, he had the opportunity to do something that was right for his constituents and he failed them. And you're already seeing the implications now. Right. So on 2018, to what is you mentioned the governors have redistricting implications, mm-hmm. of course, because they sign or veto uh, any redistricting legislation that comes out of the 2020 census. But uh, first of all, the, in most states, those districts are still drawn by state legislators, uh, which makes it extremely important. And I forget now uh, the numbers I was rattling off the other day about uh, 
what a small percentage, again, of state houses that that uh, the Democratic Party now controls compared to what it used to be. What focus is there on state legislative races in 2018? That's right. And I think part of the problem was that what we saw at the DNC when we came in, what we diagnosed was that we are <laughs> obviously only focusing on presidential elections. And yeah, so that... Yeah, and I it know. hurt and it hurt our party, and um, and Donor, so now donors do that, organizations do that, the DNC did that, and as a result, you know, under the eight years of Barack Obama, as you know, we lost nine hundred and fifty, or some people say even over a thousand state legislative seats that flipped from Republican to Democrat. I mean, and, Democrat to Republican. And one of one of the we are working with our state parties right now. I think what what is critical here is that. What we weren't doing before, we weren't listening to our state parties. And I think you and I have had this conversation before where they know what's best for their state and they know where to invest in order to flip um, certain seats. Mm-hmm. And one of the seats is in, is in actually Washington state. By now, you would think that both chambers are blue. You would think that that is that is a progressive state. They should it should be Democratic. We are one seat away in the Senate from switching it. That and we're investing in that seat because it is we're one seat away and it is going to be mm. critical moving Absolutely. forward that we yeah. switch it. So the DNC is actually investing in that state. Um, when it comes to Texas, if you look at Texas, we're working with the Texas Democratic Party there because there are areas that Hillary Clinton won, especially Latino areas um, with large Latino or African American districts that we've never paid attention to before and we've never invested in before. So we're working with the Texas Democratic Party to be like, okay, if we can just turn these seats blue that Hillary Clinton won in Texas, it could have implications. It might not end up switching the entire chamber, but we're never going to get there if we don't start investing now, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what what we're working on. We're working with these state parties to figure out strategically what are the areas of growth and where can we flip some seats? Which is exactly what the Republicans did under Karl Rove. And then uh, Ed Gillespie, who was in the White House as political director, I believe, uh, now running for governor of, of Virginia, uh, with this so-called Red Map project that they came, they came up with. Uh, so I guess it was 2004, maybe. Uh, and th- that the result of that was all of these state legislative houses flipping. So I don't know whether we're calling it blue map today, but that's what we ought to be doing. I'm glad to hear that we are yeah. in state after state after state. Texas is interesting. Um, I don't know whether you saw Lawrence Wright. Uh, I had an incredible piece in The New Yorker a couple of weeks ago. I did see it. About Texas politics and about Texas is is on the, I wouldn't say it's on the verge, I guess, but the potential for turning Texas blue is real. If only, right? I mean, one point he made that that, that stunned me is that if Latinos voted at the same rate in Texas that they vote in California, and by the way, as former state chair of California, I don't take all the credit, but I'm saying we worked for years for voter registration drive and then electing Latinos and, and, and getting them to energize the base. You know, Art Torres, who took my place as state chair, uh, state Senator and Antonio Villaraigosa. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go down the list of these great Latino leaders in California who worked hard to energize that base. If Latinos in Texas voted at the same rate that Latinos in California participate in the process, Texas would be blue, blue, blue today. 
You're absolutely right. And you will um, hear the party leadership there tell you that if we would have invested in Texas the way that we invested in places like Ohio or um, some of these battleground states that um, that that we tend to pour money into, that we could have been successful there without even investing in Texas at all. We the margin um, we got. I think we closed the margin into single digits there. Democrats did. And I believe we had the same margin as we did it in Ohio, which was pretty incredible. Yeah. You can spend yep. all the money in Ohio, but you know, when you when you don't invest at all in Texas, it's the the Democrat the growing demographics there favor Democrats. And what you're seeing in larger cities already, and especially in places like Harris County and Houston, um, is that they started organizing there. They brought their community together and they started and their donors and they said, we're going to go ahead and start investing in these seats, in these local seats. And they did. Now it's a blue county. The yeah. One of the largest counties, one of the largest, you know, mm-hmm. um, cities mm-hmm. in Texas is blue. So I think that that it's obviously something that we hope to do. Um, but you're right, because of, if you register voters and because of the changing demographics, that only benefits Democrats. And Texas should be blue. I mean, I hate the fact that people just write off Texas, right? And no, Texas may not be on the coast, either coast, but it should be blue. And you look at Sam Rayburn and Lyndon Johnson and Ann Richards. You know, it's a great tradition yes. of, of, uh, of Democratic, yes, Democratic leadership. So. Um, so uh, Peter and I have had this little uh, contest here. We've been trying to um, um, guess on how many candidates, Democratic candidates for president, are we going to have in 2020? <laughs> are we going to have have to have two debates or three debates to, to get them all on the stage? They're lining up. They are lining up. Um... I think it's wild that Jim Gilmore is already getting in as a Democrat. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, well, what? <laughs> Why keep talking about the flipping party? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, there, I, I, I probably your guess is as good as mine right yeah, now. I right. think that we will have plenty of people join, um, probably more than ever before. And I think that it yeah. is because, I mean, we are at a point in our country where Donald Trump is our president and a big threat to democracy. And you are fine. You are, you will not only see um, elected officials, members from the Senate, probably members from the House, um, governors jump in. But I believe that you're going to see people who have never been in politics before jump in as well. And I think that, um, frankly, it's good for the Democratic Party to have a lot of people out there. It's good. It's good to have a debate that goes um, to talk about what Democrats stand for. Um, and it'll be a robust election season, but we have a lot to do before now and then. But, but, but yeah, certainly. Um, and so, what do you see? Is Donald Trump the best recruitment agent the Democratic Party has ever had? <laughs> well, I will say that um, we are more than ever. We are seeing candidates jump into the race, and I think that you saw um, Emily's list is at expanding level, at right? every level. Emily's list is expanding. They recently announced because um, they are seeing women wanting to jump in and get involved. You are seeing um, organizations like Run for Something and um, others who are recruiting candidates and wanting to get people um, involved. We are seeing this more than ever. We're seeing in the governors in the gubernatorial space. We um, have many candidates who are already confirmed and were run, wanting to run and jump in. You have um, attorneys general who are wanting to state attorneys general who want to 
get involved. So you are seeing, I think, this wave of enthusiasm and people wanting to make their voices heard because they believe that's the only way that you bring change, which is extremely encouraging for the Democratic Party. That only helps the Democratic Party. And so it's a matter of getting these people elected. So what is the role of the DNC when you have, um, you know, just throw out the name, you've got Cory Booker, you've got Elizabeth Warren, you've got, you've got Kirsten Gillibrand, you've, uh, uh, I, I, and you've got uh, Tim Ryan, uh, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, who knows? I mean, uh, right, the list goes on and on. So what's the DNC do? So we don't get involved in primaries. Um, that is something that not, not this time around. We, under we do not we we do not get involved in primaries. Um, but we do support our candidates, and so I think that um, what we while that is a long way away, and we still you know haven't had the conversations with some candidates, and that's you know we're still focused on 2017 and 2018. We will do everything to support all of the candidates, and so but that means not getting involved in the primary, and and really then focusing on electing a Democrat. Um, in the general, whether because who knows if Donald Trump's going to be the nominee, right? So we need to for the Republican Party. So no, no matter whoever the nominee is, I hear that Mike Pence might want to run. Yeah, we, um, we've heard that, right? So if Mike Pence, you know, is our um, is the Republican nominee, then we need to be prepared to take him on as well. So we are, you know, we are preparing ourselves as a party for whoever is the um, nominee on the Republican side and then doing everything we can to support Democrats. Now, there's a whole new team, a new chair, new vice chair, and you're new uh, at the DNC. It's a whole new slate. Does the new slate recognize that the uh, and admit that the old slate did tilt toward Hillary in the primary? I am not going to get into that. I move, we're moving forward right now. <laughs> um, what I will say, though, is that there should never be a perception that we're that the DNC is getting involved in a primary, not even a perception, whether it happened or not. You when even, you when even off the record, when, you're not when, going to admit that they that that, that when, they were kind of tilt toward Hillary. What I will say is that even when there is a, I don't know what happened then. I was not there, but when there isn't, when there is even a perception, it ends up you lose trust with people and you lose trust in the party. And unfortunately, we're having to build that trust right now. And so it is very serious. And I think Tom Perez is very committed to making sure that we do not do that. And there is not even a perception of doing that. And so, you know, that he whenever he ran for chair, he talked about we should be deciding the debate schedule before we even have our 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 set our candidates in place, right? We should have a debate schedule ready to go so that we're not arguing about this once we have our candidates in place. And it doesn't look like we're favoring everyone because all of these decisions were decided before we had our candidates. Right. Uh, so Soshi Hinojosa with us from the DNC Communications Director. And you can follow the DNC and follow about all these races that we're talking about at dnc.org, is that right? It's democrats.org. I'm sorry, Democrats, democrats.org. Uh, Very important because there's so much going on at so many different levels, all of which are important, state legislative races, even city council races, of course, starting there. Building this bench, which is so important, uh, governor's races, congressional races, Senate races, and when we get to 2020, the presidential race as well. Uh, th this question has come up in a, in in uh, of a litmus test mm -hmm. uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, surrounding two issues. Um, some people are saying that there should be a litmus test on the issue of abortion. You either are pro-choice 
or you cannot run as a Democrat, or we'll never support you as a Democrat. Um, and some are also now saying that single payer, right? Now, Bernie's the single payer guy. He's going to be introducing single payer legislation. Congressman John Kinders has more Democrats in the House than ever before on that legislation. Mm -hmm. But some are even going so far as to say, I was reading an article this morning, uh, that let's make single payer the test, Medicare for all the tests. If you don't support it, you'll never get any support from the Democratic Party. What's your feeling about a litmus test on e on any issue, but those two particular? Um. So, well, when, when, I mean, the Democratic Party doesn't impose a litmus test. But what I will say about Should those it? issues, well, we haven't, and I don't think that we will. And I think that part of it is that we are pro. We are a pro-choice party. We <laughs> will continue to be a pro-choice party. We will continue to make sure that we are defending women's reproductive rights. I think the reality is and what um, is that 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 will not change at all. This is where our party stands. And we will continue to make sure that we are fighting these Republican attempts because the biggest threat to women's health and reproductive rights, especially as we saw through the trying attempts to repeal the ACA and defund Planned Parenthood and all these things are coming from Republicans. Right, right. And so that is... And that does define the Democratic Party and that is a huge difference. It's and also an economic issue, you know, the between the two parties. It, yeah. And it's and it's an economic issue for yes. the Democratic Party or for just in general. And because that is the one of the biggest decisions a woman can make. Right. For her family. Um, and so we are pro choice. We stand by it and we will continue to be. I think that on the issue of single payer, um, Chuck Schumer has said that he has he's open to anything that will make sure that we get more coverage at a less, you know, at a at reduced cost and in order to fix our healthcare system. And I think he, you know, he also said that he is open to single payer as well. I think that, you know, what you'll see as candidates run across the country and which I am grateful for that Democrats are talking about how we're going to increase coverage and how we're going to provide more coverage, better coverage at a lower cost. And we're having that debate in the Democratic Party while Republicans are over here saying they're going to take it away. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah. As a part, member of the Democratic Party, I'm proud to have that conversation right now. I think it's very important. Um, and I think that you'll see candidates who will um, run on single payer who do support it. We have great progressive candidates that are out there that do that will continue to support it. Um, I think that it depends on the state and I think it will depend on who the voters put in and the issues that are important to them and and whether or not they're going to stand for um, progressive values that their districts um, want to hear from. So yeah. I think that it is I think it is a great conversation and debate to have. I think we should continue to have the debate because we should be doing everything to provide more. But I think you make a very important point that the big the main difference between the two parties is uh, it's like voting rights, too. You know, one party is trying to suppress uh, people's right to vote. The Democratic Party is trying to expand it and make it easier for everybody to vote. Uh, and on this issue, one party is just is trying to. Uh, roll back the clock and putting insurance companies in charge and depriving millions, tens of millions of Americans of any health care coverage. And the other party is trying to expand it, and make sure that everybody has basic, affordable health care, uh, however they get it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm a single payer guy, but um, Obamacare is better, better than what we used to have. Exactly. And Obamacare, a fixed Obamacare would be better than what we've got now. So we're moving we move in that direction. That's the main difference, I think, between the two parties. Uh, and there's a lot, again, 
that um, we can't leave it all up to the staff of the DNC. Everybody's got to pitch in at whatever level they yes. can. Support your candidates. Get involved in these campaigns. Run for office yourself. Uh, the way to plug in is at Democrats.org. Thank you so much for coming by Thank again. you so much for having me. All right. It's always a pleasure. all of our friends at the DNC. I will. <laughs> when we come back, North Korea, what can we do about it? Brian Bender joins us from Politico. This is The Bill Press Show. I am not on vacation. Stop saying I'm on vacation. I am not on vacation. Just because I'm at my country club playing golf every day um, doesn't mean I'm on vacation. <laughs> Come on, Donald Trump, just admit it. We all take vacations, or should. Hello, everybody. It is a Tuesday, Tuesday, August 8th. Great to see you. It's the Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, and uh, we are right here in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill, our studio on Capitol Hill, just in the shadow of the Capitol Dome. Good to have you with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, summertime, House, the House is out of town. Uh, members of the House, members of the Senate out of town, the President's out of town. I don't know where Mike Pence is these days, but... We're still here guarding uh, the post and keeping you informed of what's going on at the uh, federal level here, at the, uh, nothing at the congressional level, the federal agencies, the White House, around the country and around the globe. We'll tell you what's going on, and we look forward to hearing from you as to what you think about it all. The way to do so, go on Twitter. Don't leave Twitter to Donald Trump. Yeah, he's been tweeting up a storm already this morning, uh, particularly about North Korea. Uh, don't leave Twitter up to him. You tell us on Twitter what you think about the news of the day or at BP Show. Simple enough. Uh, Brian Bender, we thought was going to join us. He well, may still show up. Eh, who knows? You know, he's, he's lost. <laughs> Maybe he's lost on the uh, on the metro. Some this people morning. just wander in and out of the studio. But we got the news of the day, and we'll get right into it. But first. <laughs> This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news this morning. Bill, let me ask you a question. Yes. All right. How'd you sleep last night? Uh, actually, pretty well. It's yeah. raining a little bit. I like it when it rains. It's a little, you know. What time did you go to bed? Did you get enough sleep last night? Yeah, I right. did. Well, there's a new study uh-huh. that says that sleeping less than six hours a night is very, very, very bad for your health. Did you get more than six hours of sleep? Uh, I got about six. Okay. All right. right. Well, then you, yeah. you, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Right. But this study says that sleep deprivation is as bad for your body as binge drinking. It raises the risk of obesity, depression, heart attacks, and strokes. It's rooted in the brain, this research suggests, and it is linked with acute cognitive impairment. So it's, it's like really, really, really bad. And they say that if you get less than six hours of sleep and then you get behind the wheel... It's just as bad in some instances. As binge drinking, right? As driving drunk. Wow. Yeah. It's Whoa. just really, really bad for your brain. Your brain really does need rest. So if you're thinking about staying up late and you know pulling an all-nighter, maybe think twice. Well, I think we should announce right now that uh, as of tomorrow, our show's going to start two hours later. Yeah, because so, we all need our so sleep. So we all need our sleep. It's right. for good brain health. Um, this story is totally insane. The Junior League World Series is the women's softball tournament, young ladies' softball tournament. The Atlee Little League softball team won the whole tournament. They beat the Kirkland Washington team one to nothing. And then after the game, they all posed for a winning photo that they put on social media. Except yeah. in the photo, 
they were showing everybody we're number one. No. Except they were using their middle finger. So what do you think happened? They took the photo down. They stripped them of the title. No. They took the title away from them and oh. gave it back to the Kirkland Washington no. softball team because they said that that was not okay and they no, didn't like that they did it. Yeah, but they, they didn't. The other team didn't win the game. I agree. Look, I yeah, think that I mean, you should just take the photo down and be yeah, a little smarter. Yeah, take the photo down. That was a dumb thing for them to do, by the way. But they yeah. absolutely took the title away from this young woman's team. Uh, no good. No good. I don't like that. And good morning. Good morning to Thomas Edward Grothy. He's 60 years young. He lives in Mankato, Minnesota, and he was just arrested for his sixth, sixth DWI. The difference between this one and the previous DWIs, he was driving a lawnmower. This time they pulled him over. He blew a .28 on the breathalyzer. He was charged with gross misdemeanor. DWI and gross misdemeanor driving after license cancellation. Wait a minute. So he had five while he had a driver's Well, license? he had an actual driver's Well, then he, then he was caught drunk driving, yes. Man. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you today, and happy National Dollar Day. <laughs> Bet you didn't know it was National Dollar Day, uh, but neither did I until I saw it online somewhere yesterday. Great to see you today. The Bill Press Show coming to you live on Tuesday, August 8th from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we uh, bring you up to date on all the news of the day. We do that for a couple of hours every day. And uh, take your comments on Twitter at BP Show, uh, bringing you not only the news of the day, but the best guests that we can round up every day. Uh, and I mentioned just before, the uh, uh, right before the end of the last hour, we're going to be joined by Brian Bender from Politico. Just want you to know, if you don't see him here, that's because we haven't heard from him. Uh, that happens sometimes. Uh, in live radio, live television, uh, I want you to know uh, I have been a host and a guest on, I can't count the number of shows, right? I have never not shown up. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, Is that true? That's true. I believe that. No, never. Punctual press, that's what we call you. But, well, I mean, if I make a commitment to do an interview, whether it's a TV, a, a phone interview on a radio show or showing up on a television studio, I'm there. Just want to point that out. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Hey, a lot's going on today. The uh, leads, by the, so on National Dollar Day, and we did mention this in the last hour, but those of you who were in tune in the last hour, I still think it's uh, fascinating to know why we celebrate National Dollar Day. Right? Can I say that again? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, Let's talk about it. It was in 1786 uh, that Congress said, we've got too much different uh, forms of money floating around. Uh, at that time, there were seven different um, currencies, including gold coins, silver coins, and uh, I don't know, beads, <laughs> whatever you trade, or shells, Uh and, uh, it's like the barter system, right? Remember, you could just like trade chickens. a chicken. Yeah, right. for uh, and Congress said, nope, we're going to have one form of currency. It's going to be the dollar, the one dollar uh, and ten dimes. And so from 1786, that has been our chief currency. Uh, but And so 
so they boiled it down to that. But they were printing dollar bills, but not just dollar bills. At one time, up until the 1940s, they were printing $500 bills, $1,000 bill, $5,000 bills, and $10,000 bills. Uh, and it got to the point where it, people like couldn't deal with it, couldn't handle it. Who had change for a $10,000 bill? I mean, it makes so much sense because I get tired of having to carry around $10,000 in cash these yeah, days. I know. You, you know, you got so many bills. It's just, it's exhausting. So all I really wish I had- Not to mention had, quarters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish I just had like a $10,000 bill so when I carry yeah, around right. my $10,000. Well, they don't exist anymore. Today, the biggest bill is a $100 bill. I'm nervous carrying a $100 bill around, but just the idea- that there were uh, $10,000 bills. I can't imagine. I mean, even if you right, you went to like Brooks Brothers, right, that would still be, <laughs> that'd still be a problem. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Or even if you went to, I don't know, a really great restaurant, the chances are going to have changed for a $10,000 bill. Yeah, I don't think they're going to have right. it. So for just, th- what- just thinking, like generations time, we'll be celebrating Bitcoin Day when we <laughs> abandon the cat, when we get embrace our cashless society and go purely Bitcoin. So all I want you to do is I want you to have everybody have a great National Dollar Day and uh, see if you can find anything you can buy today for a dollar, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is very 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 unlikely. Hey, you know what's free? The Bill Press Show podcast. You can get it on iTunes. Doesn't even cost you a dollar. There you are. Just go I to iTunes, that. download it. Don't cost you anything. All right. Yes. Uh, but if you got $5, go to patreon.com <laughs> and sign up for Seriously, Patreon's got great, great stuff. That's our exclusive podcast. Uh, not podcast, exclusive content uh, reel where we put up the parting shot every day. Every day. And special interviews with a special guest that uh, don't you don't hear on uh, the program. Hey, interesting. We're going to hear more about this, I'm sure, today. But while uh, Donald Trump is on vacation, don't, no, <clears throat> don't say that now because he denies it. Um, but he is at any rate. While he's on vacation, there is something waiting on his desk for when he returns. Or if he wants to get a little work done up in Ben Bister, New Jersey, he might take a look at this. Uh, it's not something he's going to be uh, eager to see. This is a report on climate change. Uh, New York Times reporting exclusively this morning. That this uh, study, this is part of, by the way, of a national climate assessment, which Congress has mandated that federal agencies do every four years. Uh, They have to check uh, and and write a report, the scientists, from 13 different federal agencies uh, writing a report on what is the status of climate change. Uh, This was a report that was welcomed at the White House uh, under President Obama a report that uh, will get a decidedly less welcome response, of course, from the White House of Donald Trump, because the report says flat out, no hesitation, no conditions, no ifs, ands, or buts. The report says climate change is real, it is serious, it is dangerous, and it is man-made, and we have to do something about it. Here's from the New York Times, first paragraph. The average temperature, in the, according to the report, the average temperature in the United States has risen rapidly and drastically since 1980, and recent decades have been the warmest of the past 1,500 years. Are those are the conclusions of this report 
uh, by the scientists from 13 federal agencies. Again, uh, it concludes that Americans are feeling the effects of climate change right now and directly contradicts Donald Trump's assertion that the existence of climate change is uncertain as well uh, as uh, uncertain as to whether or not human activity causes, causes it. The report says, quoting now the report, evidence for a changing climate abounds from the top of the atmosphere to the depths of the oceans. Quote, again, many lines of evidence demonstrate that human activities, especially emissions of greenhouse gases, are primarily responsible for recent observed climate change. You you cannot be any more conclusive, any more definitive than that. Yes, it exists. It abounds. The evidence of it abounds. It is uh, dangerous to our planet, and it is caused by human activity, particularly the emission of greenhouse gases. Contradicts everything Donald Trump says about climate change. The question is, will this report, which was leaked to the New York Times, Will it ever see the light of day officially from the Trump White House? Uh, You know what? They're going to make, I'll bet you, they will make every attempt to bury this. Look at what they've done so far. I mean, look at all of their action that they've taken with the EPA. Uh, Look at what they've done with the Paris Climate Agreements. It's clearly not a a priority for them. Uh, Priority? No. The priority is to undo everything that Barack Obama did about climate change, right? Starting with dumping out of the Paris Accords and then reversing the regulations for new power plants, for coal-fired power plants, uh, allowing more coal mining. Donald Trump's going just in the opposite opposite direction, uh, unleashing Scott Pruitt at the EPA. Um, uh, but again, the big question now facing the White House is they've got this report and we now have this report. Will the White House release it? Um, they don't have to endorse it. Will they at least release it? They're, need, they're not even going to want to do that because it does flat out contradict everything they've been saying. I think this is a great example of how... But you the cats out of the bag now, baby. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I think it's a great example of how the media should not let the White House dictate policy or dictate the news. Because a lot of times, I think we, we got so used to that of, you know, making it a real story after the White House acknowledges it. If they don't acknowledge it and they don't talk about it and they don't put anything out, that doesn't mean that we can't talk about it. If Donald Trump doesn't, uh, doesn't accept it, it doesn't mean who cares. It doesn't exist, right? Yeah, who cares what he thinks? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but uh, and and by the way, this again is the evidence of something we have talked about uh, the last couple of days, where there are leaks that do not jeopardize our national security. There are leaks, and I would say the vast majority of leaks are in the public interest. The vast majority of leaks tell us things that we should know about what our government is up to, which is why I believe that Edward Snowden is a hero. He's not a traitor at all. He told us what the NSA was doing in terms of our private phone conversations. The same thing with this, with this leak of this national, uh, the, 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 of the national uh, scientists from the federal agencies. It's called the National Climate Assessment. Um, th- this is important information for the American people to know. Uh, and if it weren't for the New York Times, we might never know it because 
can't count on the again can't count on the Trump White House to uh, to to release it. Um, good for the New York Times. We'll see uh, how long it takes for them to uh, struggle with this and decide uh, what what to do about it. Uh, Donald Trump probably will not be tweeting about that this morning. Oh no, I don't think he will. No. no. But he was tweeting again yesterday about his base and how strong his base is. I think it's uh, important to recognize here again uh, Donald Trump um, way, way off base about his base. Yesterday morning he tweeted, quote, The Trump base is far bigger and stronger than ever before. Look at the rallies in Pennsylvania, Iowa, Ohio, and West Virginia. So he's saying, look at those some key states, and you'll see my base is bigger and stronger than ever before. Um, incidentally, or coincidentally, perhaps, Politico did just that yesterday. They looked at some key states. They looked at voters, 2018 voters, likely voters, in Florida, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. Uh, okay, what does Donald Trump's, Trump's base think about him? Uh, and they make a comparison between uh, April and today, August. All right. Uh, just listen to these numbers. Strongly favorable. Strongly favorable for Donald Trump. In uh, April, it was 35.3% of his base. Strongly favorable. Today, it is 28.6%. Strongly unfavorable for Donald Trump. In April, it was 36%. Today, 43.6% strongly unfavorable. So the strongly favorable among his base has gone down dramatically. The strongly unfavorable among his base has gone up dramatically. Uh Donald Trump's base is shrinking. It's not getting bigger. It's not getting stronger. It is shrinking. Even among just Republicans, the numbers I gave you are all voters in Florida, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. Again, key swing states. Uh, among Republicans, strongly favorable of Donald Trump in April was 54.1%. Today, 44.9%. Strongly unfavorable among Republicans for Donald Trump was 20.5% in April today, 27.9%. And again, strongly favorable, going dramatically down. Strongly unfavorable for Donald Trump, dramatically up. Uh, and uh, the, so in terms of where his, where his is base, his base is starting to see this is a guy you cannot trust and is getting nothing done. In fact, on the final point, on the trustworthy issue, trustworthy issue, Donald Trump, here, here's a question that was asked. Do you trust what you hear from the White House? Can you believe what you hear from the White House? 24% uh, said, yes, we can. 73% said, no, we can't. Stunning. Three out of four Americans say they can't trust what they hear from the White House. Three out of four Americans say you can't believe what the White House says. I'm shocked that, I mean, 
that it's not a lower number. I mean, the, the we've seen lie after lie after lie after lie. I'm shocked that there are people who still believe anything that comes from the White House. But don't say he's on vacation. No, 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 not at all. No, I know. After this cascade of lies, what we see, it is true. But I mean, uh, the, 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 you think why? You know, what's this twenty-four percent? Right? They believe they still believe when Donald Trump said there were no meetings with the Russians. They still believe when he says he's not on vacation. They still believe when he says that three, three to five million people voted illegally for Hillary Clinton. They still believe when he says it was the largest crowd ever to see any inauguration in history. No. I mean, there have been so many lies you just wonder, but I still think it's something that three out of four Americans say, but he may be our president, but we don't believe him. And you know what? That goes for Donald Trump. It went for Sean Spicer. It goes for Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the Stephen Miller, and the whole crowd, right? Can't believe any of them. Yeah, no, and no, by no, the way, a, there's a pattern. It's not just way, Trump. And Michael Pence. And Mike Pence. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, 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 they put him out there. In fact, he's been caught. Uh, in a couple of lies himself. Uh, if Donald Trump was not tweeting about um, his base yesterday, he was attacking Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. Uh, Senator Blumenthal, who was on uh, CNN yesterday morning, talking about the Russian investigation. It wasn't going to go away. Uh, and Donald Trump saw that. He went ballistic, uh, attacking Senator Blumenthal, saying we never saw a bigger coward, never saw anybody so weak. We never saw, uh, you know, this was a guy who lied about his service in Vietnam, <clears throat> which is a stretch for a Donald Trump. Uh, the fact is, as we know, and Senator Blumenthal did admit this when he was first running for the Senate uh, in his uh, campaign uh, material, it said that he served in the Vietnam War. He had to clarify that and point out that while he was in the military, he was uh, in the Marine Reserves, I believe. He was not, uh, not on duty in Vietnam, which he, which he did admit. But for Donald Trump, who got five deferments for uh, so-called burn spurs, bone spurs, rather, um, sort of pulling the Dick Cheney to get out of military service, never served a day in his life, for him to be accusing somebody else of not being on the ground in Vietnam is pretty cheeky, even for a Donald Trump. Uh, the point is, uh, of course, this is the way what Donald Trump does. He just goes into the personal insults and attacks. This is the kind of stuff that John Kelly was supposed to stop and has not obviously cannot stop Donald Trump from being Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, Rich, but Rich, Senator Blumenthal, he fired back. By the way, Senator Blumenthal was on Morning Joe this morning. Uh, he, he's, he's in defiance of the president. The president's not going to shut him up. Uh, but yesterday, he even spoke out and said, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, uh, what the, what Trump is trying to do is to silence the press in order to uh, shut down any stories that he might find embarrassing. I will not allow the president of the United States to chill the free press or the work of reporters who have uncovered embarrassing or revealing truths that have led to the special counsel investigation and other actions. Yes, and a uh, senator points out uh, that uh, this investigation, uh, which, uh, which is underway, even though Donald Trump wants to shut it down, uh, wants it to go away, it's not going to happen, Senator Blumenthal. The message has to be sent that this investigation will continue. This investigation is not going away. 
Senator Richard Blumenthal back at it again, again this morning. I love when he gets under Donald Trump's skin like that, right? Yeah, look, anytime that a politician gets under Donald Trump's skin, at the very least it's entertaining, but, like, uh, you know, it also shows just kind of how out of his depth Donald Trump is. Like, you know, when he argues with people, he really just finds one thing, one thing, and he just beats the hell out of it. And he just kind of gets lapped sometimes. And what he hasn't learned is that the best way to deal with somebody like a Senator Blumenthal who's on the air criticizing one of your policies is just to ignore him. Sure. Yeah, I mean, look, he's punching down. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. He's pre- that Trump is president of the United States. He doesn't have to care what any senator from Connecticut or Nevada or wherever says, particularly any Democratic senator. You just ignore him. No right? fight is too petty for Donald Trump. Mm-mm. Yeah. You know? No, it's a good way of putting it, right. Uh, in New York City, big announcement yesterday by the mayor, Mayor Bill de Blasio, stepping up like the proud progressive that he is and saying, yes, our subway system, system is antiquated. Yes, it is badly in need of not just repair, but a whole remake. We're going to do it. It's going to cost a lot of money. And the way we're going to uh, pay for it is we're going to have those people on the Upper East Side, the millionaires and the billionaires, pay their fair share of taxes so that working-class New Yorkers can get to work on time. I am calling on Albany to pass a millionaire's tax to support the MTA. Yes, because, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's curious and kind of strange the way it works, but the subway system in New York is under the jurisdiction of the state of New York, not the city of New York. So this is sort of a way of the the mayor saying to Governor Cuomo, too, you know, you got to pass this so that we can fix our subway system. Uh, And the mayor's also saying, uh, you know, this is the way things ought to work. Those who can afford it should pitch in to help those who can't. And when you do that, we all we all get along better. It is really interesting to see this shape up. Uh, even though it is a local fight, you've got a guy like Cuomo who doesn't quite get it and doesn't really embrace the fact that Democrats want an actual Democrat and someone who's actually progressive and who will say these things. And de Blasio, I think, gets it. So, like, we've got a little microcosm of the entire Democratic Party happening here in New yeah. York. Both of whom, by the way, have ambitions about 2020. Like, Andrew Cuomo's solution yeah. to traffic problems is, well, we're going to build a new lane just for limos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And whereas de Blasio is like, millionaires are going to pay uh, for yeah. everybody else to ride the, the subway. Yeah, so here's de Blasio and how it works when we all uh, help each other. When the rest of us get on subways and buses to go to work, the folks who own those companies do well. When customers go to their stores and businesses, they do well. Yep, yep, indeed. Uh, And as the mayor de Blasio finally said, uh, so again, uh, those people who may never ride the subway, probably have never been on the subway, still, you know, they have an obligation to help those people who really depend on it. So that New Yorkers who typically travel in first class pay their fair share so the rest of us can get around, so the rest of us can get to work, so the rest of us can live our lives here in this city. Indeed. Uh, Another mayor from another city making some news yesterday, Mayor Rahm Emanuel out in Chicago filing a lawsuit against the Trump administration um, because, and this is is a very important issue, 
issue, I believe. And I think the mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, is absolutely doing the right thing. Uh, the, he's suing the Trump administration to block the the Trump administration's efforts to withhold money from cities that are sanctuary cities like Chicago, uh, particularly withholding money that these cities have been using to improve and reinforce their police departments. Uh, and, and what the mayor is saying is, wait, you know, you can't, um, you can't weaken, if you will, our police departments and prevent us from doing the job that we need uh, to protect our citizens just because of your policy on undocumented immigrants in this country or on immigration in general in this country. And Jeff Sessions, attorney general, fired back yesterday uh, and said, you can't put all the people in your city at risk because you refuse to follow us on this issue of illegal immigration. Uh, it is a real battle that we're going to see, I think, played out in many, many cities. And I wouldn't be surprised to see other mayors joining Rahm Emanuel in, the, in this lawsuit. So here's Donald Trump. Notice what's, what's happening. is Donald Trump, who goes out there giving all these speeches about, I'm all for law enforcement, just like he did up in uh, uh, Suffolk County, I think it was, Long Island, uh, Friday a week ago. I'm here for law enforcement. I'm on your side. We're going we're to help police departments around the country. When, in fact, his administration is saying, no, we're going to take money away from your police department if you don't do what we do, what we want you to do in terms of turning over anybody who happens to be to not here, even if they haven't committed a crime, if they're not here legally, we're going to turn you over to the federal uh, uh, immigration agents, to ICE. Um, it's a real battle between the cities and the federal government. Uh, I think Rahm Emanuel is on the right side of this, and he's going to be proven to be on the right side. And again, I bet you a lot of other uh, a lot of other mayors are going to be joining him. So much news to talk about, and we didn't even get to the big flap now in the tech industry, where it turns out that uh, all these companies that we admire so much are not doing such a good job when it comes to diversity. Uh, <clears throat> their slip is showing. Paul Singer from USA Today, Washington correspondent for USA Today, joins us uh, in studio. And yes, we know he's here because we've already seen him peeking in. Uh, we'll be right back. Quick break. We'll be right back with Paul Singer. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. All right, you got it now on Tuesday, August 8th, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., our studio right here on uh, Capitol Hill, uh, where every once in a while we just go out and snag a neighbor who happens to be walking by. <laughs> uh, and today our victim, oh, I mean, our guest is uh, Washington correspondent for USA Today, Mr. Paul Singer. Hello, Paul. It's good to see you. Hello, Bill. Good to be here. How are you Having doing? a good summer? So yeah. far, so good. Absolutely. All right. And Congress is gone. The White House is gone. I'm I'm happy as a clam. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can make... get a reservation any place you want. It's you know. Washington is livable again. It's livable. All, all, yeah. all of them. Uh, yeah, because uh, everybody's out of town, including the president. But he's not on vacation. No, 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 no. He's working. He what was working this? the Twitter hard. I know. I mean, why not just admit? You know, every president. I don't know. Maybe. Certainly, every modern president that we know of has gone on vacation. Yes, this is—you've just used a word that Donald Trump will never use in a sentence, which is "admit." 
Oh, <laughs> it is, he does not admit anything. It is you know, Donald Trump created reality? And again, it would be easy to say, well, he's taking a vacation if he hadn't spent four years attacking the previous president for going on vacation. All of these presidents go on vacation. We want them on vacation. It's good for them. It's good for the country. Exactly. Uh, it's the same reason he will never admit, to use that word again, that he is playing golf. Correct. Because he attacked President Obama so often for playing golf. That is correct. Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. It is, it is a Trump-created universe, and... It's just, it's just so bizarre, because, you know, I, I think the American people don't care. Fine. Bill Clinton went to Martha's Vineyard. President Obama went to Martha's Vineyard. George Bush went to the ranch in Crawford. We never understood why. Right. right? It was so damn hot. Dick Cheney that used was... to take time off to shoot people in the face. Right. Yeah, right. There was that, you too, know? yeah. yeah. So the only their quality time. Dwight Eisenhower, you know, played golf, went up to Newport, Rhode Island, where he used to hang out. Harry Truman, Key West. I mean, you know, whatever. Bill Clinton would go to, like, with the Renaissance weekend and talk policy with his friends. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I mean, who are those people? <laughs> Richard Nixon put on a three-piece suit and his wingtip <laughs> and walked on the beach. For beach weekend, yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever floats your boat, right? You know? Yeah, right? People are so, not like the rest of us anyway. We all knew that. Yeah, right. Somebody goes to Bedminster, New Jersey for 17 days. Okay, fine. Yeah. Just get out of sight. But yeah. don't, 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 don't. Now, USA Today um, has uh, been doing a lot on the issue of uh, diversity in the, in the tech industry, which Correct. suddenly came to light uh, this week because an engineer who's now been fired yes. uh, from Google put out an internal memo saying, yeah, there aren't that many women in high positions of power in Google. Well, that's because they're biologically inferior. Right, yeah. They're Echoes not of at, Larry Summers at Harvard. Right, they're not good at computing. Yeah. God, yeah. How anybody could hold that belief today and then put it out in writing, right? It's again, he's been fired. Good. I'm glad they fired him. But it does expose that there are some issues in the in, in the tech industry. So here are the numbers, the, the, thanks to, I got these from CBS News last night, right? The tech industry overall, first of all, in, in Google, mm -hmm. Google's the one where this memo is written, 20% of the workforce are women. 20%. 20%. You know, in this day and age? Yeah, that's stunning. Stunning. Overall, tech industry, 69% male, right? 56% White, thirty-five percent Asian, four percent Latino, two percent African American. Yeah, basically zero. Yeah, yeah, and 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 USA Today has done a lot of reporting on this topic. I, I take no credit for it and know almost nothing about it, but I can bluff my way through two and a half minutes of it. You know, basically, um, part of the issue for for the tech industry has been, and we see this in companies like Uber, which has you know seen total upheaval and has its own problems because basically they, they grew out of a frat house. I mean, the, the ideas for a lot of these companies grew out of somebody's university uh, uh, lounge mm -hmm. over a few beers, smart people with good ideas, but they have no sense of management and they pick their friends to run the companies and they work with their pals in the business. And it sort of, it generates this ongoing culture of, basically bros, the, the bro culture. You know, mm -hmm. we're just out there, dude, you know, mm -hmm. changing mm -hmm. the world one technology at a time. But they're not giving significant thought to expanding their universe, expanding their base, expanding who they work with, bringing new people into the companies. You could make an argument, right, that they're, they're, they're not in it for that. They're in it to, to you know, revolutionize the economy, maybe. 
But, you know, in so many other ways, we look up to them. First of all, they're, you know, it's young, they're dynamic, they're the future. Uh, they're campuses, they call them, you know. Yeah. Not, not, and they're in they're California. It's nice well, there. Yeah, but yes, right. And they're known, their campuses are known for the, the fun places to work. I mean, they're fun work sites. I've been to the Google office here in Washington, D.C., there was a nap room. There were game rooms where yeah. you could go. There were there was a, a kitchen that was serving meals all day long. You know, USA Today's, USA Today's office, we have a bunch of people who build digital for us. We have a whole floor of digital people. And their floor, they've got ping pong tables and, yeah, and you yeah, know, these nice yeah. little meeting pods. And, no, and up right. there in the, uh, in and the journalism factory you know, they're, upstairs. They're sort of... <laughs> there's a lot of art around. And it's sort of like you just you think of these places, boy... You know, that's where that's the, that's the best good, place good possible to work, right? Yeah, right. And then you find out that that you know, there there's such male there's such a male sexist philosophy that dominates these countries. I find it pretty stunning. And they're not. I mean, I think it again reminds us that you know just because you are in the smart tech industry full of millennials, you are not. Uh, immune to the the general trends in our culture that have not taken into account inclusion or have not taken into account uh, you know, smart treatment of employees. Yeah. Right. Maybe we should not be surprised that they reflect the rest of the country. Yeah, right? man, it's just but capitalism. I, I it's know, just fun you just, capitalism. You just expect them to have been, been, been different in so many ways. Right. And then, you know, like, as you pointed out, Uber and Google, both are subjects today of a lot of serious sexual harassment charges, or right. sex, how serious we don't know, but they're serious. And, and uh, um, even Google is being investigated by the Department of Labor today for not paying women the same salary that they pay men for the same job. Lily Ledbetter all over again, yeah. right? Yeah. You'd also expect these companies to to do a better job on transparency because of what they do for a living. You expect them to be more transparent about their operations because they are information companies by and large. So presumably they should make this information readily available. Uh, you have been following, as Washington correspondent, the uh, debacle here over health care in the United States Senate. Mitch oh, yeah. McConnell yesterday, actually back in Kentucky, uh, spoke out about this, saying, first of all, they say that we didn't get a lot done. Well, uh, he finds that pretty disturbing, Mr. Everybody, McConnell. Everybody's saying we've been there, haven't done anything, which uh, I find extremely irritating. Oh, <laughs> poor baby. It's extremely irritating. Yeah. Well, extremely irritating. what have they got done? He doesn't say, right. look at all the things we've accomplished. By the way, at least Donald Trump does that, right? right? right. I mean, it's full of... It's BS. It's all BS. He still tries, but he still lists all these things that we've done. Right? Well, Mitch McConnell didn't even didn't right. even attempt I mean, it. Again, let, let's give them the credit they are due. They confirmed a Supreme Court justice who could potentially change American jurisprudence right. for thirty years. Right. right. So, right. so they get that. That's a win. Right. Uh, uh, they have passed a dozen or so of these you know, regulatory rollbacks that may or may not be significant, depending right. on what industry yeah. you are in at the moment. Um, and they have, um, wait, I'm sure there was something else. Russian sanctions. Russian sanctions. There you go. Which, by the way, is a punishment of the president. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, so the one major bill right. that has been passed and got to his desk is one that he opposed. Yes. And did not want to sign, but only signed because otherwise they would have overridden his veto, which would have been even more embarrassing. That's right. Right. So. so and and and, there, and and frankly, you know, 
the, September is going to be a mess. Uh, for people like me, particularly, it's going to be a disaster because they have to get back here within about three weeks um, and keep the government funded, raise the debt limit, figure out whether they can pass some sort of a budget to allow for them to uh, approve the spending plan, start to design a tax reform policy. It was just like they're nowhere right. on a whole bunch of things that matter a lot to people. And and I don't know how they get there. And I don't really feel like a bunch of more three o'clock in the morning votes. Uh, right. We're going to see them. So um, McConnell also final cut of this. He um, you got to blame somebody. So he blames Donald Trump. Part of the reason I think that the storyline is that we haven't done much is because in part, the president and others have set these early timelines about things need to be done by a certain point. Yeah. How dare they, right? <laughs> well, Donald Trump did say he was going to repeal Obamacare on day one. <laughs> uh, but the truth of it is, Obamacare, I mean, this attempt to, or would you agree mm -hmm. that the effort to repeal Obamacare is done, dead, total failure? You know, Billy Tozan once said to me, Congressman Billy Tozan from Louisiana. From Louisiana, one of the most colorful congressmen ever walked the halls. I, I asked him this question. He was this bill dead? And he said, well, it sure ain't alive, but it's <laughs> sort of like Elvis. You never know when it might show up at a 7-Eleven somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I, I, I believe, you know, Billy Tozan was right about this, is that, yes, I believe this health care reform thing, well, let me... The health care repeal is dead. I, I believe, and in fact I know, um, Senator Lamar Alexander uh, yeah, from Tennessee right. is, is is trying to right. engage in some bipartisan conversation That's about a different shoring up the marketplaces. Yeah. Um, I know Joe Manchin has been talking about this. Right. Susan Collins was yeah. talking about this. You're right. I, I expect... The health care issue is certainly not dead. Yeah, and I, and I would not be surprised to see them legislate uh, something. Right. On health care. The question is right. how they get that through the But it will not be repeal and replace. It will not right. be repeal and replace. Now, um, as soon as that comes up, there will be an opportunity for someone to add a repeal and replace amendment to it, and we can have this argument all over again. Um, but, uh, but yes, I do not expect that we're going to be repealing Obamacare anytime in the near future. Well, now, will they, or, and is there time for them uh, to, to shore up the markets uh, in order... Because... You know, he may say there's some artificial deadlines. There is a deadline for, I think it's like right now, for insurance companies to know yep. and to have some certainty and they're getting whether, the, whether the subsidies are going to be available. And that's the next critical thing is that that's right, is that if, if, if the administration chooses to not renew those subsidies or has been going on currently to not say whether they're going to renew those subsidies. These are the subsidies that reimburse uh, insurance companies for coverage for people who can't afford their coverage. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how they set their and pricing. Slide, as we know, there's a sliding scale depending yeah. on your economic or your income level and, that, what, and what subsidy you qualify it's for. It's a critical piece of the marketplace. But, but a huge percentage of people who are in the state exchanges, I think even the, the federal exchanges, depend on those subsidies. That's right. And, and, and it becomes an issue for the insurers. And, you know, we are not people who generally feel any kind of sympathy for our insurance companies. But again, basic capitalism, if you don't know whether or not you are going to get a 
six billion dollar payment from the federal government, yeah, no, right. you can't price yeah. next year's uh, uh, insurance market, right. and and that's the problem where we're at now. Or you that they can't need... offer all the elements that we say are basic elements that have to be part of any insurance policy. Right, and that's and that's the problem we're in now. Is is that everyone so, is waiting for the administration to make some sort of actual declaration we are going to or we are not going to provide these subsidies that well, is the big deal well we did see a couple of weeks ago where donald trump tweeted out the threat right that he might not uh offer the subsidies and he might not and and, and might take obamacare away from members of congress or something he hasn't repeated that though he's been and, well, and part, part of this argument by the way though is like so much of what we're talking about here is very very nuanced and Donald Trump is not a guy that deals in nuance. I, he doesn't really understand. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I mean, we'll obviously beat him up, but like he doesn't understand what's happening. He doesn't know what's going on. He made no pitch for health care reform. He made no pitch for repeal and replace. He doesn't know what's happening. So like when you really get into the weeds but, here and you get into like the little pieces of health care, it's but, completely lost on him. But that reinforces Paul's point yeah. that that creates uncertainty. Right. And that's that. No matter what business you're in, the uncertainty is the problem. That's the part that drives you crazy. And a threat like that is interesting because you normally anticipate you, you make a threat like that as leverage to the next thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to you know cancel these subsidies unless you guys in Congress pass the bill I want in the following ways. But we never got that part. So so they're still holding out this threat. But it's not clear what they would like in return for not fulfilling that threat. And so there's this limbo, basically. The whole marketplace is in limbo. That is what I think the companies particularly would like to see resolved. So they have to get that done. But you say September is going to be a disaster, particularly because of the uh, debt ceiling and the, and the, government, uh, shutdown. And the government shutdown. Yes, we are back in government shutdown land. Get out your playbooks, people. <laughs> How many times have we been I, you know, here on the brink of a uh, of a shutdown? I was trying to remember, because I've been covering politics in Washington for about 30 years, and I was trying to remember when the last time I actually sat through a full appropriations cycle where they approved the bills and they signed the bills. and It was like the early 1990s. And actually, and actually had a budget? Yeah. 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 So it's been a long time. Um, and we are going to come against the, the is, now. Is there a date? Uh, I know it uh, It varies because it, the, the Treasury Department says. Extraordinary measures can. Yeah. yeah, right. So, but kind of what's the deadline we ought to be thinking about? End of September? Yeah. So two deadlines to, to keep in mind. The, the government um, funding obviously runs out September 30th as it does every mm. year. Yeah. Um, and we have no uh, yet replacement bill. Will there be a short-term continuing resolution? Will there be a, a, a full uh, legislation, a f you know, full spending bill? Will there be some sort of omnibus bill that just packages everything else that's already passed? Those are the questions that have to be resolved by September 30th. Uh, October 1st, no one goes to work unless that's been passed. Around that time is when the um, uh, administration says the debt ceiling needs to be raised. The, the debt limit is actually a very fluid thing. It there's a bunch of things that the government can do by themselves to sort of manipulate uh, what mm -hmm. expenses, what debts, what income. And, of course, it all depends on how much revenue is coming in. Um, if, if business goes well and tax revenue is flowing into the uh, uh, nation's coffers, well, then that allows them to pay off more debt so that date can change. Um, 
But basically that time period is going to be September, October, that they need to raise the debt ceiling. Otherwise, there is this danger that the American government defaults on its credit. And again, this is not new expenditures. This is paying down debt on previous expenditures. Um, it's going to be a big deal. You know, the administration has said we want a clean debt ceiling increase, which is every administration every, says this. Right. Um, and particularly for the conservatives in Congress, they want to say, no, 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 we want insert whatever here. We want cuts in spending. We want some sort of guarantee that they're not going to you know, raise the debt ceiling again over a period of time. We want defund Planned Parenthood, whatever it's going to be. Right. Um, now, uh, I was just trying to think while you were talking about the, the last time we had a shutdown, what the issue was. Republicans were demanding that be part of it. Obamacare rollback. Oh, was it really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was Ted Cruz demanding they roll yeah, back Obamacare. Right. Yeah. And I was actually on a road trip someplace, you know, on vacation, assuming that there's no way they'd still be in session at this point. And no, they were. <laughs> they were still in session. So I was you know, tracking it from the front of a vehicle. Now, at the same, meanwhile, um, some uh, in the Senate say that that despite this little these little hurdles they've got to get over, that by the end of the year we're going to have tax reform and infrastructure. No, and no. <laughs> Can I go now? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, I, you just wonder how could they possibly get those done when they they don't have any anything to start with right now, correct? Right. Um, and yeah, the, the, no, I mean, the, we were expecting a big no way. We were expecting a big no. announcement on tax reform a few weeks ago. They said, oh, big announcement on tax reform coming up. Right. And what they announced was we're not going to do the what's called the border adjustment tax, which is essentially a tax on imports um, that Trump had at one point supported mm-hmm. and then not so much. Well, that was the only thing they announced. So the, the rest of the tax bill we don't have. And keep in mind, that was a trillion dollars in revenue they were expecting to pay for the rest of the tax cuts. Mm. So once that's off the table, now what do you got? Right? You'd have just giveaways. Well, but you you, you use an interesting phrase, tax cuts. I mean, there is a difference between tax reform and tax cuts. Huge difference. Right? Tax cuts are easy. Tax reform is hard. (laughs) There is a big difference. Okay. And for some Republicans, when they say tax reform, they really just mean tax cuts, don't they? Correct. Right. But for the reality is that tax reform is a lot broader than that. It includes that's right. Maybe raising some ta- raising some taxes, maybe cutting some taxes, maybe getting rid of some loopholes, maybe simplifying the tax structure. All of that. I believe right? it was Gary Cohn when they first rolled out their one-page uh, tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Priorities. Uh, again, they said they were going to roll out their tax plan. This goes back a couple of months ago, and they get the the entire plan was a one pager saying, "Right, you know, oh, I'm right, right." Um, but one of the things that Gary Cohn said in a briefing with uh, reporters was, "Taxes are going to go up for some people. Uh, you know, in some cases because your deductions are going to be eliminated. In some cases because um, uh, you're in a tax bracket where we might increase." There's been rumors that Steve Bannon wanted to see a basically a millionaire tax go into effect. Right. So there are places where, in fact. Tax reform, as you say, could mean that some people pay more tax. Um, that is very difficult to do. Everybody likes to pay less tax. And as long as you don't care whether or not the revenue is coming in, you know, give away a tax cut. When's the, do you know? remember the last time we had real tax reform? Well, I'm assuming it was the 86 Reagan tax reform, um, which, by the way, if you ever get bored, uh, one of the finest pieces of investigative journalism is called The Great Tax Giveaway. 
by Barlett and Steele and the Philadelphia Inquirer. Oh, right. Oh, they right. tracked yeah, for 10 days every yeah, line yeah. item giveaway where billions <laughs> of dollars of loopholes were written into that tax reform to basically avoid taxes on Bill Press's boat. You know, it was astonishing. Um, so that was the last, but that was a major bipartisan tax reform. Uh, it's not undoable. I just don't know whether it is doable in this political climate. But, you know, um, I guess the question, too, I'm thinking politically. I mean, it's not that sexy either, is it, really? No. I mean, Well, the sexy part is when you say, well, we're going to make your IRS form a postcard, and you just fill it in. But there are words I don't use on television, right, that describe what that is really about. That's nonsense. It's ridiculous. It's never going to get there. It can't get there. Our government doesn't function that way. Um, but that's the sexy part. Everyone's like, oh, we're going to eliminate the IRS. Well, yeah. yeah. Get it down to a post. I know. You hear that all the time for a postcard. And the other thing, want to cut the budget of the IRS. Well, you cut right. the budget of the IRS, that means they don't answer your phone calls and your questions because they lost their staff to answer your phone calls. But the idea that with so many uh, industry groups in this town and every one of them having an army of lobbyists, right, protecting yeah. every little tax loophole that exists. Every idea, comma that you're going to get down to a postcard, it, it ain't ever going to happen. No, it's not. It's not. And and you're right. There is an industry around every comma in that bill because it's worth <laughs> millions of dollars, every yeah, comma yeah. in that bill. So let's see. And at the moment, keep in mind, we don't have a bill. We don't have a draft. We don't even have overall numbers. And we don't have a budget reconciliation that they would require to set out what the numbers are going to be to pass this thing. And by the way, if they don't do this on budget reconciliation with 50 votes, then they need 60 votes in the Senate to do it as a regular bill, which they'll never get. So where do we start on the so nevers? there won't be any tax reform and there won't be any infrastructure bill either. Well, it ain't dead. It ain't alive, but it's sort of like Elvis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're never sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I don't have high hopes for either of those uh, uh, major pieces of legislation. But, uh, but again, but with infrastructure, there's we don't have a bill. Well, and there's we your have, other... We have a promise of a trillion dollars in infrastructure, yeah. which you could get a lot of bipartisan support for, I guess, if you figure out where the money comes from. Yeah, and they've talked but, about public-private partnerships that might fund some of that, so it wouldn't just be a billion, a trillion-dollar cash transfer out of the U.S. Treasury. But um, again, we have seen not, they, they, they're not even at the point of conversations about priorities, principles, structure of the bill. They're nowhere on that topic. So, could this be the most uh, unproductive, ineffective session of Congress ever? Yeah, looks like it. Right. I mean, I, mean I, I, I don't know what they can go home and say will be remembered for. Right. Russian Sanctions Act. I don't know. I mean, again, you know, the, 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 Neil, <laughs> yeah, right. the Neil Gorsuch confirmation is a big deal and it will is, remain a big but, deal for a long time. Um, but it was they not can only legi- drink. They can only cash out on that for so long. You know? Yeah. Right. And it wasn't a legislative effort. No, no, it yeah. wasn't. I mean, they had the votes and they had the candidate and they had the president. I mean, so. And I think we can't underestimate how devastating that moment was when um, uh, John McCain walks to the floor and yeah. gives the hand thumbs down signal. This was Mitch McConnell's supposed to be his expertise. Right. He can solve anything. He can untie right. the Gordian knot. Um, and the fact of the matter was he couldn't. And he couldn't do it among his own party. Right. The master legislator. Uh, Emperor wears no clothes. Paul Singer, good to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Good to see you, Bill Press. All right. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Paul Singer, you can follow him, of course, at USA Today, usatoday.com. 
Have a great Tuesday, folks. Come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll be- this is the Bill Press Show. Well, you know, don't look now, but I think that all of us fell for a classic Donald Trump fake. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, we were all feeling sorry for Attorney General Jeff Sessions because of Donald Trump's, all of Donald Trump's ugly tweets about him. Trump called him beleaguered and very, very weak and said he's sorry he appointed him and wished that he hadn't appointed him attorney general. But if you ask me, I think Trump was faking it. The truth is Donald Trump loves Jeff Sessions because more than any other cabinet member, Jeff Sessions is a loyal lapdog and is doing exactly what Donald Trump wants at the Department of Justice. At the Justice Department, think about it. Jeff Sessions is carrying out Trump's extreme right-wing agenda with a vengeance. He's rolling back the Voting Rights Act and letting states do all that they can to prevent minorities and young people from voting. Jeff Sessions is undermining efforts by many cities to enact new policies on community and police relations. Jeff Sessions blocking federal funding for all sanctuary cities. Jeff Sessions declaring war on leakers and journalists. Jeff Sessions, who went to court to oppose including protection for LGBT Americans under the Civil Rights Act. Jeff Sessions ending all efforts for criminal justice reform and urging prosecutors to seek the maximum possible sentence in every case. And finally, Jeff Sessions, who has vowed to enforce federal marijuana laws even in states where voters have approved the uh, legalization of the recreational use of marijuana. Yep, Donald Trump may be the most dangerous man in America, but Jeff Sessions is a close second. This is The Bill Press Show.